Welcome back to another episode of the USL show. We have like <laughs> five shows in two weeks, which is unheard of for us. Don't get too used to it, people. Um, we are being very joined by a very, very special guest. We're being joined by an absolute legend of the coaching world, especially in the college ranks. We're being joined by a guy who, to quote LeBron James, has not one, not two, not three, but four national titles. Joined from a guy who comes from, I think it is, uh, Brentwood, New York, a graduate of Southern Connecticut, where he would eventually take his alma mater to glory and eventually UConn themselves. We're talking to Mr. Ray Reed. How, How are you doing? Doing good. How about you? Good. Thank you very much for having me on tonight. It's an honor. Uh, we're absolutely stoked to have you. Some we didn't mention, you're also the technical director at Hartford Athletic. Um, you know, we get, I got really caught up with, you know, just your illustrious career before you quote unquote retired. And now here you are as a technical director for a professional club. You know, what a career you've had. <laughs> oh, I'm, I've been very lucky. And surrounded with some great players and great assistant coaches. And when I was coaching, I've been very fortunate and I'm very blessed to have the opportunity to work with Hoffman Athletic. So to kind of start off, I guess I do want to talk a bit about your, you know, your early playing and then your early coaching career, you know, going to, you know, Southern Connecticut and uh, kind of doing that whole, what people would consider a, lower level right and i've talked to a lot of uh people in the past and it's pretty much universally agreed that those division two schools are not really a lower level of soccer they're just not it's not as low as people think but you know to kind of get your career started there both playing and coaching and to have early success very and to be a dominant force you know kind of how did that propel you for the rest of your career yeah, I was very lucky. I played at Southern Connecticut for, for me, one of the best coaches in America, Coach the Cranian, uh, 80, 81, 82. And we had, my senior year, we lost the national final to FIU in Miami, 2-1. And then I decided to stay on. Coach asked me to be his assistant, so I was the second assistant. I was there for six years, I think six or seven years as the assistant coach. And in 87, we won the first national championship, Coach the Cranian's team, with uh, – some great players in it, probably guys, Johnny DeBrito, who went on to play in the MLS, Gary Cronin, Billy Gelka, Juan Osorio, who just coached Mexico uh, in the 2018 World Cup. Juan played for us. Uh, Marvin Etienne was a great wide player. Henry George, just a great group of players. We won it in 87. 88 was coach's last year. He retired. In 89, I took over. So taking over for – a legendary coach like that with quite a list of names that you just rattled off. Um, a, I mean, does that ever just kind of blow you away of just kind of the names that you just kind of have in your back pocket that you coached? Well, we were, we were very fortunate. You know, a lot of people don't know this, but some of the guys that played at Southern Connecticut, Michael Pecky, who played for obviously Red Bull and DC United, Ricky Kozak, who played in the under 20 world cup, Paul Oshoney, who played in MLS for about eight, 10 years, presently the coach at Dartmouth. Kevin Anderson, who played also played NASL, ASL, and a little MLS, also played now the head coach at Columbia. 
Bobby Muse played for us. He was the head coach. He's head coach president at Wake Forest. George Kiefer played for us. He's the head coach at NC State. Um, some fantastic players. Uh, who else? Chris Hauser. Hauser played for the Tampa Bay Mutiny center back. So we've been very blessed with a lot of great players to come through the program there. Uh, and hence the success was, was built on the back of so many players. So I want to toss it over to someone else that I'm being joined by, someone who we often refer to as our USL encyclopedia. I want to toss it over to uh, other co-hosts. Uh, Ryan, how you doing, Ryan? I'm doing well tonight. How are you today, Kaylor? I'm doing all right. It's been rainy and all that kind of stuff. Had to replace a microwave today. Didn't like that. <laughs> Did not like that. But uh, yeah, how, uh, how are you? So uh, you had uh, mentioned a little bit about uh, your background within uh, Southern Connecticut. You then made the transition into UConn. Um, and would you uh, be willing to talk a little bit about your background, having moved into the Division One program, and then especially since uh, UConn had gone through the conference change at that time and just how the soccer landscape had changed while you were at UConn? Yeah, when I got there, we were in the Big East, and we inherited Bobby Ryan, who played in the MLS, Mauricio Rocha. We had a great pipeline with a lot of players from St. Benedict's Prep in New Jersey. St. Benedict's Prep's where Tab Ramos played, Claudia Reyna, Greg Berhalter. You know, we had we had some great players come play for us. Uh, and then, you know, the Big East really became a very good soccer conference. St. John's, ourselves, Rutgers under Bob Riasso. Later on, Louisville joined, Notre Dame joined, South Florida joined, uh, West Virginia joined, Marquette joined which I believe the last year we were in the Big East, which might have been 2011, we got eight teams into the NCAA tournament. So the Big East was a very good soccer conference back in the day. Yeah, I mean, the Big East was, I mean, for me growing up, right, I always thought of the Big East, especially the basketball and the football side of things. So those were those were some of my fond memories with, their, with those uh, conferences. But then – you know, kind of looking at the soccer side of things after I started really getting into the sport, I was just blown away with some of the names and some of the matches that happened. You know, going back and watching old uh, Big East Conference Championships that are available on YouTube, I was blown away with the level of coaching and the level of play that was there. Going on and being in those kind of landscapes with the Big East and then eventually the American Conference, you know, or American Athletic Conference. I think the American Conference is a different thing entirely. <laughs> um, but, you know, kind of for people who maybe didn't play at the college level, what was that level really like? How does it compare to where you are now with the USL Championship? Yeah, we had great players back then. I mean, Kenny Lola had some great guys in Louisville. Bobby Clark, great players at Notre Dame. Uh, George Kiefer was at South Florida at that point. Shaka Daly at Providence. Yeah, the, the conference was the best conference in the country. And then, and then uh, when you look at the guys you went up against, Bobby Clark, Kenny Lola, Shaka Daly, Dave Mazer, Bob Riasso, George Kiefer, uh, Louis Louis Bennett from Marquette, um, Keith Folk was at West Virginia. I mean, these were wars. You know, these were tough games to get to the conference players was not easy. So, uh, you know, that really helped sharpen us for the NCAA tournament by competing in that league. And we, I think we played maybe nine or ten games regular season in the league. And then and then eight teams made the playoffs, so you could play another four games 
uh, three games before the NCAA tournament started. I mean, just ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> what a what a gauntlet to go through. And you spoke about uh, a little bit just on like the skill and playing level of the NCAA from your time there. How would you say that's kind of grown from uh, your time at UConn and to just today in the modern uh, game for the NCAA and just kind of speaking to the position that uh, the NCAA can still have for college soccer players to move on? For instance, you look at Daryl DK, who's now playing with uh, West Brom. You know, I, I can't believe I'm saying this because I was in college for 40 years. <laughs> not only our top coach, but I think I think it's not as good as it used to be. You know, between MLS taking guys at 16, 17, 18, between guys going to school for a year and leaving early, is a huge turnover. And a lot of the top guys don't spend much time in college. So the college game is still a competitive game, but I don't think it's as good as it was in the 90s. And, you know, whenever you're looking at guys that are you now at Hartford, right? Some of those guys decide to not go to college. They decide to go straight into being a professional footballer. Some of them, you know, signed their first ever professional contracts with Hartford. Um, it, is there an upside to taking that year of college and getting used to that kind of medium between high school and slash academies uh, and then getting to the professional ranks, or do you think it's just as beneficial to go through those academies straight to pro? No, I think there is a benefit. If you're not one of the top guys, top, top guys in the country, I think there's a big benefit to going to college. You, you, you know, you have, everybody has a sports performance coach, so you grow physically, you mature, you play against men. In some cases, you go in as a 17-year-old, you're playing as 22, 23-year-olds as seniors. You learn to live on your own. You learn to take care of yourself. I do think there's a I do think there's a uh, need for if you're not one of the top guys to go to college for two to three years and let yourself develop as a player and as a as a young man. Yeah, um, you know I kind of want to jump back to uh, your Southern Connecticut days. Um, you know you were there as the as the head gaffer. You know, um, <laughs> for people who maybe don't know, I want to just read your record there it's ridiculous um you were one uh, 146 17 and 15 with a 0.862 winning percentage um your most disappointing season that you had there was in 91 where you went 14 4 and 3 i <laughs> that's ridiculous <laughs> um you know, when you're going on those stretches of constantly being in the tournament, constantly making semifinals, constantly winning the whole thing, you know, how much coaching do you have to do at that point in the terms of culture, right? How much of maintaining culture do you have to do, or does it really become, you know, player leadership that they know what's expected and all you have to do is keep a guy in line every now and then and then teach the tactics? Well, back then, you know, you had to develop culture. You had to keep guys in line. It was a different time than, than now. You know, there was a lot of culture involved, but at the same time, we had a lot of great players. And in the end of the day, great players win games, great players win championships, great players make average coaches, good coaches. So we were very blessed with the talent we had at that place. And it was a great time to be at Southern Connecticut. You know, when I retired from UConn, when I was at Southern, 
you know, I wanted to go to Division One, and I went to UConn. And I just buried my head for 25 years. But in hindsight, I probably should have enjoyed Southern Connecticut a little bit more than I did. You know, uh, we were very fortunate. We had a lot of great players and great coaches. And speaking to just kind of that culture that you have built, how much would you say, especially within NCAA, is it a challenge to continually build upon at that culture every year? Like if you win the national championship, how much of a challenge would you say is it to basically come back the next season okay, and say, okay, how can we improve? How can we get better off of uh, one national title? Look, it is, it is very difficult to maintain that, you know, that type of level. Now, Gino Oriemer has done it in UConn women's basketball. Uh, Nick Saban has done it in Alabama football. But these these programs are few and far between. You know, so you, you got to put a lot of energy in and you got to try to motivate guys and, you know, keep them chasing the prize. But it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It was fun to do and it was uh, an exciting time in my career. I want to kind of come back to something that you said and I want to uh, bring it to where you are now. You say yourself that great players win championships, right? And we're looking at a Hartford roster that has got a massive revamp from someone that you knew well from, you know, your original time uh, down in Connecticut, which is Tab Ramos, right? We're looking at a revamped roster. We're looking at players who are playing their first minutes together because there was a lot of roster turnover. You have a captain who is its first year in Hartford. Getting these great players together is one thing, but getting them to play together is another. Has that have you seen that be an issue so far, or is that just something that great players figure it out? Well, I think to answer your question, part of the whole revamp was getting a new coach. And, you know, our our number one target was Tab. We were fortunate to get Tab. He has not disappointed. He's fantastic with the players. You know, he brought a great staff together. Amid Namazi, our former under-18 national team coach. <coughs> Excuse me, he was Tab's assistant with the under-20s. Brilliant soccer mind. Him and Tab are a great team together. And then he brought in Danny Gaspar, our goalkeeper coach, who's been with Carlos Carroche in Portugal. Carlos Carroche and I ran, been in a couple World Cups. One of the best, if not the best goalkeeper trainer in the country. We had, we had Matty Besma, who's our sports performance coach. Mike Diaz, who's our uh, sports trainer. And then Nathan Cahoon, who's our director of soccer ops. So the first thing we had to do was put together a real good technical staff, which I think we have. And then Tab on me, Danny, and myself went to work to fill out the roster. And we've tried to add some veterans, some young guys. And tried we've tried to change the culture a little bit. And, you know, we're going to find out tomorrow we leave from Monterey. When we open up Saturday night, which is about the other end of the world, it's going to be <laughs> the planes, trains, and automobiles to get there. But it's all the worst trip of the year. At least we get it done the first weekend. Um, but we're going to see. It's a new roster, a lot of good guys, a lot of good players. Still putting it together. We're probably not the team we're going to be in a month. But as I said, I think Tab and his staff has done a good job in the first six weeks. We went to Florida for a couple of weeks, played the Columbus Crew. Played Orlando City too. We played the Revs too last uh, Sunday night. So I, I think we've gotten prepared. Now we got to go out and see what it, we look what we look like when the lights go on, and it really counts. And at the end of last season, when you had appointed uh, Tap Ramos, he you guys ended the year with uh, winning five games of, out of your last nine. Do you find that as a like a beneficial 
uh, state to kind of help lay the foundation headed into a full preseason headed into this year. And especially with uh, like one of the signing of the offseason, in my opinion, was Anthony Hopano, a real USO veteran and legend of the league. Yeah, look, we wanted to get the new coach in, i.e. Tab, at least the last five, six games so he get a feel for the place. And as we looked at players, he wasn't just watching video, but he, he had worked with these guys for six weeks. So I think it was massive that we got uh, Tab, Omid, and Danny in. And, and, you know, then Tab has Tab and Omid and Danny have contacts all over the country with players, which is open doors for us. And obviously, Opano, I believe, led the league in assists last year for Detroit. So uh, he was a good get, and I Logue, and I can go on. I don't want to name a lot of guys, can forget some guys, but we're very fortunate. The group we have, we're very excited about their mentality. You know, Tab and his staff are working hard at developing the culture, and uh, we, we're looking forward to seeing the lights go on on Saturday night. So, you know, we have we have here have been talking about Harper, and when we have started seeing the puzzles come together but whenever we're talking about a show like the usl show that's trying to cover everybody and we're trying to figure out the puzzle pieces early right as are you guys you know kind of knowing what's in the back pocket kind of knowing what's coming before the players do obviously you know the front office knows what's coming and whatnot but sometimes i guess hearing fan reactions of stuff of them being like well, we don't have this kind of player. We don't have that kind of player. We have a hole here and a hole there. Does it ever just kind of bother you and be like, it's coming. Don't Just don't worry. I have a job for a reason. It'll be okay. Well, I wouldn't say that. I, I think we just got to watch our guys play for the next month, see where we're at, see what we need to add. But we're excited. I think we got a good group of players. I think our locker room is very strong. I think we had a good group of people. As I said, I think we have the right guys leading the group, the right coaches. So, you know, we're happy where we're at right now. It's time for some matches. And then, you know, we'll have to – obviously, everybody has problems. We then fix the problems based on what we see this weekend and the next weekend in Colorado. And you had mentioned a little bit about uh, these early road trips, and that's something at least changed within USL this year, of having every team play every other team at least once. And to start out your season, you play uh, four Western Conference teams in your first seven games, and then you have two games against uh, Birmingham in that time as well. How would you kind of evaluate this uh, change within USL and just as the league, as without all their, uh, without the MLS two sites in it, uh, just how would you see the kind of just wider USL ecosystem growing into this season? Well, again, I'm not the league. I have no idea why we're playing all these West Coast games while we're making, if you count Tulsa, <laughs> Vegas, and San Antonio, we're making seven trips to the West Coast, which I have no idea why we're doing it. I would rather play each side, play our, league, our side of the Eastern Conference, everybody three times. And then that would give you, I think, 27 games, I think maybe 30 games, maybe 33, whatever. And then then play, have two West Coast teams come on a Wednesday and Sunday, and then we go out on a Wednesday and Sunday. I mean, you're talking about wear and tear of players, you know, now. So I have no idea why they're doing this. Uh, not And really, I don't really think they care what my opinion is on it but it's a lot of wear and tear on players. So whenever you're kind of playing to go from place to place and trying to get, you know, players ready, obviously, you know, you have a performance coach and stuff like that. You have trainers that get the players right. 
But as a technical director, you know, you're a coach forever. Um, you know, you're a coach longer than some of your players have been alive, right? And so you have been – you've been around the block a time or two. Is there sometimes that you're just down at uh, practice and you're just like, I, I want to get my hands on this guy so badly, not because he's doing anything wrong, but you just see something that you know that can be fixed? Or do you just kind of let Tab completely handle that and say he'll get to it when he gets to it? You know, when we met, Tab was talking about being inclusive, and he's been very inclusive with me. But when we hired him, I want him to run the team. You know, if I was coaching, I wouldn't want some tech director to tell me what play to play and you know, and nor would have I nor would have we gotten tired if I ran it that way. So I, I I'm at every practice, I go to the games, I give my opinion when asked, I watch, I try to help them, try, you know, I'm a technical director, but I'm also more like a general manager, trying to give these guys what they need to win. You know, so uh, you know, if I saw something glaring, I would maybe mention it at the tab. But that hasn't been the case since last August, uh, last September. You know, I have great confidence in those guys, and I just watch. And uh, unless I'm asked a question on the team, I told it to myself right now. Uh, when you get a guy at the level of Todd Ramos, you let him work. You don't interfere with him. And looking at another uh, competition this year that at least has a major impact is just the Open Cup. I believe uh, it's Hartford City and Lansdowne Yonkers who would get paired up with Hartford Athletic in the second round. How important would you say a competition like this is not just for the lower leagues, but as U.S. soccer as a whole? Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity for the league and for our players to showcase themselves. And if you ought to advance to eventually play an MLS team, um, I think it's fantastic. Last year we beat Oyster Bay, and then we lost to Red Bull 1-2-1. One, one. In the first half, they really hammered us. It was 2-0. We scored early in the second half, and truthfully, we were all over them. Um, and he, they played like 8-9 in the starting 10. So it's a great opportunity if, if we get past Hopper City or Lansdowne, whoever we play, to showcase our guys, to give our guys more competitive matches, to get us ready for the USL yeah, you know, we're excited about that opportunity. For people who are listening to me, I've been trying to mute my mic a little bit because it is pouring out here, so it's going to sound a little atmospheric, I guess. So you're in the middle of a waterfall with me, I guess. Um, but, you know, whenever we're talking about those Open Cup matches, one thing that teams and fan circle is, you know, the fact that you can't play an MLS2 team, right? One thing about Hartford that I think a lot of people don't realize is that with or without playing a you know an MLS team or with or without supporting a team that's winning every single match, Hartford has some of the most passionate fans of any USL fan base. You know, being around the Connecticut scene for a very long time now. Is that kind of passion for soccer always been there, or is this something that's really started coming alive with Hartford Athletic? Well, first thing, the Hartford Athletic fans are tremendous. I, I saw that when I started going to the games last year, and I said this to one of our main owner, Bruce Mandel, these people are dying for a winner. They are just dying for a winner. We beat Red Bull 2 the 94th minute, 3-2, just a regular season match early. When we were like maybe four and seven, four, you know, and the place exploded like it used to be at UConn when you won the Big East tournament. The place went crazy. So we were some great fans in the state of Connecticut. When we were both at UConn and Southern Connecticut, 
We've always had great fans. We've been very lucky. And I guess speaking to the wider uh, soccer uh, ecosystem within New England, a uh, good friend of the show, Kano Smith, is was announced as the head coach of Rhode Island. Uh, aside from like just having easier away days for the team, how important do you see as Hartford and USO just kind of encouraging uh, just more soccer and more expansion teams within the New England area? It's going to be a great dog because they're probably an hour and 15 minutes from us. And it's a great area, big Portuguese area. It's going to be a fantastic derby once we get going next year. And I'm sure, I believe Mike Park, Mike Parkhurst, the technical director, uh, they're going to do a great job there. They're going, to, they're going to come out of the gate right off the bat. You know, we're going to have to be ready for them. It's kind of funny, I mean, that you mentioned that, Ryan, because, you know, I we just interviewed with Kano Smith not too long ago, talk, calling him one of the top coaching prospects in the U.S. And then a couple weeks later, he gets hired as a coach and a general manager. Um, maybe we could put that down as getting him a job. So I guess we can pat ourselves on the back for that one. Um, <laughs> um, this is just kind of going back to something earlier. And I just kind of want to know, you know, you talked about going down to Miami and losing to FIU, uh, you know, years and years ago, when you guys go down to that FIU stadium to play the Miami FC, do you want to just give the boys a little pep talk and be like, Hey, do it for the, <laughs> for the 87 Southern Connecticut or like <laughs> they could care less about my senior year in college. As you said, uh, <laughs> that was uh, 40 years ago. Most of these parents weren't even married at that point. But no, uh, <laughs> look, I, we lost a tough game in the final. They were better than us in 82. But it was part of what Southern had to go through its progression to win an national championship. You know, we were the first team my senior year to make it to the finals at Southern. Uh, and then five years later, we won it. So, it, it, you know, we've been very fortunate. Bob the Cranian was the head coach and built the program. And then when then I took over, and then when I left, Tommy Lang had it for 25 years. Tommy just retired effectively March 1st. So there's only been three coaches there. Right now they're uh, in the process of finding their fourth. And hopefully they'll get the right right gentleman that can lead them back to, the, to get a seventh national championship. Well, um you know, can you find yourself uh, just properly enjoying Miami, or are you still a little bit better? <laughs> oh, I won't. We'll be going down to win a game. That's all. It's business. <laughs> in the hotel, go to the game. In the hotel, fly home. It's about winning. We're in the winning business, and the, that game is in late September. So hopefully that's going to be a critical match for yeah. us. Absolutely. Where are you located that it's raining, Kayla? Um, Alabama. <laughs> okay. okay. It's absolutely pouring right now. I, so I do all these in my truck. It is pretty simple. It's, it's nice acoustics until you get a massive downpour and then it's just not, not great. <laughs> Ryan, where are you? I am located in, uh, North Carolina. Personally, it's been fairly, uh, temperate weather lately. I've been able to run about the last 20 consecutive days. So I've been doing that to stay fit. Good. Yeah. So, I mean, for people who aren't watching, you have, is this a home office that you're in? Yeah, it's my house. What a, I mean, that is quite the background you got going on there. I mean, the amount of just soccer memorabilia stuff that you have up there. What do you think is probably your most prized possession hanging on those walls? (laughs) 
probably the 2000 national championship team in Erickson Stadium in Charlotte when we beat uh, Creighton at UConn, maybe that picture. Or, yeah, probably that picture is important. Got a Pele signed jersey from that one, not jersey. It was like T-shirts given out. We got to the final four, and a friend of mine got Pele to sign them for us. Those two are pretty important. And then I got wow. a picture, picture here of my dad in the service. My dad passed away uh, December 17th, 87 years old. That's very important to me as well. Well, I mean, I mean, that's, I mean, you know, uh, you know, condolences for your father, of course. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, for people who can't see behind you, it is just a treasure trove of just soccer <laughs> stuff. It is, I, you know, that's the kind of, I think that's everybody who listens to this like dream office. So, <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Oh, man. Ryan, you got any final questions? Uh, just like out of all the teams that are at least coming into uh, Hartford this year, is there a particular home match that you basically you have circled on your calendar each week and just is the one match that you're using as like a measuring stick to uh, for the team? Sounds a bit cliche. cliche. We're worried about Monterey on Saturday night right now in California. That's it. Let's get through that and we'll go on to the next take it one at a time and get get through the early part and get to the good weather and get the big crowds. You know, we're excited. It's been a project. You know, I've been involved for a little almost close to a year. Tab and Omid have been involved probably for eight months. Danny Gas is probably involved for 10 months. So, you know, ownership has shown faith in us and we want to we want to reward them for the faith they've provided in us. Do you even after this long of coaching and putting together teams, do you ever get nervous before the first game? You know what? Last year when I was a technical director, I didn't get too nervous because it wasn't the guys I put on the field. When I coached last summer, I stood in when Harry quit until we had a tab. I got up tight. You know, I got a little nervous. I don't know what I'm going to feel Saturday night. You know, um, I'm looking forward to the game. I'm looking forward to seeing our guys play. So our last question that we like to throw out to people, um, is there anything that you have been watching or reading lately that has been keeping your interest outside of soccer? I'm reading Shoe Dog, the Phil Knight story about Nike. Interesting. What's, uh, what's that one all about? Yeah, it's kind of like how we started the business. We came from nothing. He, you know, and I'm only in the early part of it, but if you believe he went to Oregon, he might have been a track and field guy and how he built the whole business. I'm just starting it now. I'll read a lot of it tomorrow on that six hour flight to California. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I do not envy you. Oh, on I, I, I don't, I'm a type <laughs> A guy. Uh, six hours on one plane is very difficult for me. <laughs> you got to do it. So it's, I guess it's a part of the job on the broad side. You get to enjoy Monterey Bay, which I've heard is, Awesome. <laughs> well, so it's a business trip, so we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what they always say when before people go to Las Vegas too. But we, <laughs> 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 well, well, listen, it's been an absolute blast to talk to you for the last thirty minutes. Um, we're not going to try to keep up too much of more of your time. It was an absolute blast to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey Thank guys, you. I really appreciate it. In the future, if you want tab. Or any of our players, just let Pons or Mark know. We'd love to get them on, and we appreciate what you're doing for the league and for the sport. 
thank you so so thank much. Thank you. Thank um, you guys. Thank you. Have yeah. a good night. You as well. You too. Thank you. Thanks guys. And just like that, there was Ray Reed. I mean, what a fun conversation, huh? Yeah, that was really fascinating to see here his background from uh, college athletics and then how he built the team here in Hartford. It was just really cool. Yeah, I mean, kind of going down, him just kind of casually throwing out every single person's soccer heroes growing up and then just saying, yeah, I coached him, I coached him, I coached against him. That. <laughs> <laughs> What a, what a guy. I mean, kind of looking at this Hartford team, you know, we talked about them a little bit on our preview, but there is a lot here for Hartford fans to be super excited about. Niall Logue just being announced as team captain. Obviously, Opino, you know, is kind of the big one. But other big signings, and I've mentioned this on our preview show, a guy that's not getting a lot of love, but I am so high on, Joe Rice being signed in. Um, that's something I wish I would have asked him about. I wish I would have asked him about, uh, you know, how the goalkeepers get signed. If that's through the goalkeeper or coach himself, just finding people. But I am so in on Joe Rice and I really think that he should be their guy going forward. Yeah, this is a very much improved Hartford athletic team going into the year. And, uh, it just, it seems like it's a team that's ready and has a step forward to take. And they're going to be a very competitive side throughout uh, the entirety of the season. And hopefully one that can get over the line by the postseason into the playoffs. And it's a schedule, like we had mentioned on the show that starts out with a few road trips and a, a couple games against Western conference teams. But as you look into the season, you have a three game stretch in May, June, against Loudoun, Sacramento, and Louisville at home. And then you have another one with Detroit, Charleston, and Indy coming to town. It's really a lot of summer home games, which is very beneficial to kind of building the foundation for that, uh, just for a good playoff team. Yeah, I mean, that's what was, that's what really gets me. I mean, I think Hartford may fall victim of being in a crazy good you know, Eastern Conference, because I think any other year this team is easily in the playoffs and is fighting for a home playoff game. Granted, I think they are going to make the playoffs. I think they're I think they are safely in that line. But, you know, people don't really think about this. And especially with the Miami teams like that. But I mean, we also hear it all the time with sports um, up in Seattle, which obviously we don't have that Washington team anymore with Tacoma gone. But, I mean, the travel out of Hartford being so far away from everybody else, the travel out of Miami being so far away from everybody else, it's brutal. And he mentioned it. It's a brutal ask. Yeah, just all of the travel that they had. I mean, they picked up seven wins at home last year, and it was still it was where they got the majority of their victories. And having all of these teams, like if you have your Sacramento's and your San Diego, who both take trips to Hartford, those are brutal road trips for both of those squads. I mean, looking in the middle of the season, they have to go away to Tulsa. They have to go away to Las Vegas. They have to go away to San Antonio, and that's back-to-back-to-back. I mean – you assume they're not flying back to Hartford every single week. But, I mean, these are guys that have kids. They have wives. I mean, 
I mean, uh, Opino has a newborn child. I doubt he wants to be away from his newborn for three straight weeks. I doubt his wife wants him to be away for three straight weeks. And I know that's kind of part about being the professional athlete. But when you not only think about the body itself and how it handles travel, think about just the human side of that kind of travel, too. Yeah, it's uh, very difficult road trips to prepare for. And especially just given how large this country is, you're going across a lot of different time zones and it benefits them as well as you have a San Diego, Sacramento and Orange County who all make trips to Hartford and have to play games, which to them would be much earlier than they would anticipate. That's very, very true. I don't know. This is a team that in the past I was critical of of saying, you know, this is a Hartford fan base that is just waiting to explode. I mean, he mentioned it. It was just a normal Red Bulls two match, not Red Bulls one, but two. And the fan base exploded. They just, they went crazy for a game winner against a two team. It's a fan base that is ready to explode. And in the past, I was critical saying, well, you know, maybe this ownership isn't as invested as the fans are, but you know, bringing in Tab and then essentially just kind of bringing in whoever he asked for. I mean, if the fans aren't excited for this, I don't know what they're waiting for. Yeah, uh, just being right down the road from ESPN to have those nationally televised games on the network this year is certainly huge for uh, Hartford coming into this season. And it's just um, it should be a very exciting year for the club. All you need is one ESPN exec to go to a Hartford match and they're hooked. I mean, I know it's not that easy because you still have to deal with the mouse, but also all it does is you just, you can maybe flip one of those games, one more game added to the schedule because they said when they released this ESPN schedule, more will be added. All it takes is one good match that somebody goes to and they're going to fall in love and say, Hey, I want to come out here for one more and let's bring the cameras. Yeah, and we talked about the Open Cup on this show, and we saw how magical that was for not just Sacramento last year, but just lower division as a whole. And that's something that I do believe Hartford can capitalize on if you can take advantage of maybe a New, a New England Revolution team who could be having a down year or catch New York Red Bulls or NYCFC on an off day. Absolutely. I mean, I... <laughs> I'm just going to, for people who are not Harper fans that listen to that whole thing, um, A, I'm just going to throw it out there. And Ray was an absolute blast to talk to. I don't think I've ever heard that heavy of a New York accent before. (laughs) (laughs) That was, I mean, that is everything you ever dream of whenever you talk to somebody from the New England area. That's everything you want. And it was awesome. Um, But you know, we kind of talked about the players they've signed and the people they brought in. I mean, for people who are outside of Hartford, Elvis Samo, Antoine Opino, Kyle Edwards, Andre Lewis, Denny Berea. Um, that's huge. <laughs> that's huge. When you look at the defense, I mean, Tristan Hodge, Matt Shelton, and Tulu, you know, that's a real deal back line. Plus a Joe Rice I'm really heavy on. This is a complete team. Yeah, and it's not just a team that they signed. I mean, to just build out their own squad, it was enough that they were weakening other teams within the Eastern Conference. Losing an Anthony Hopano from Detroit is a big loss for them, and it's something that Hartford can basically capitalize on and take advantage of for this season. And like Anthony Hopano gets his rematch against Detroit in June 14th and then makes his return to Keyworth at the end of the year in September. 
I mean, also looking at, I mean, think about how much uh, NMO would change a Colorado Springs outlook this year. Yeah. <laughs> I and mean, Hartford has done a really good job at just signing a lot of decent players to basically assemble a squad we think is capable of making the playoffs and going that one step further. Yeah. Also, just kind of casually having a Pele signed shirt on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, for people who who weren't watching, who are listening to this, which I think our Spotify is uploading again, which that's cool. Um, <laughs> um, if if you are listening to this on Spotify or if you're on Apple Podcasts, his slow turn around to look at his entire room, I mean, incredible. A, I mean, I would. I'm I'm kind of already thinking like that could be our clip it moment. I just want to <laughs> just spinning. <laughs> yeah, that's a, a room that many soccer fans would just be jealous of just being in, much less having. Oh man. So look, thank you for you know, just kind of everybody for listening. This was a ton of fun. Um, you know, I don't think no, you weren't on uh the episode on Tuesday for our League One preview. So, uh, have you been uh, catching up on The Last of Us? Have you added anything else to the watching list? I just finished uh, Severance uh, yesterday, which was pretty good, decent TV show on Apple. But other than that, just uh, getting ready for the uh, USL Championship season. A very early, happy USL Championship Eve to everyone listening. Absolutely, I have. I've been getting myself excited for the USL season by binging the crap out of the World Baseball Classic. I, That's a lot of fun. I love the World Baseball Classic. It took, what, now four, eight years off since 2017? How many years is that? Six? Yeah. Um, I I miss it. I For people who don't, I love baseball. It's probably baseball and soccer are tied for my favorite two sports. I love the two. and. You know what? Hey, the World Baseball Classic is here. The Reds are winning spring training games, the games that actually count. And, <laughs> you know, the USL is almost back. It is almost my happiest time of year. Yeah, I'm most excited for, uh, in terms of the World Baseball Classic, is that USA-Great Britain match because it, it has to come home this year. <laughs> Baseball has to come home. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what, this is the plot twist that every England fan who's been calling for it to come home. It actually, it's baseball. It's <laughs> <laughs> Italy picked up a very, a very good victory over a uh, Cuba team today in the World Baseball Classic, which was exciting to watch, and that's just huge for their program. And Australia was probably their worst roster in several World Baseball Classics, taking down on a caught middle- stealing uh, <laughs> into the game against Korea. And they say baseball's dead. And maybe people who are this far like we're not baseball fans. Hey, for Hartford fans, I know about the yard goats. I know that they exist. Does that does that make you more entertained by this podcast that I know that the Hartford yard goats exist? Thank you, MLB Road to the show for <laughs> for that. <laughs> well, look. Lots to talk about. I could talk about baseball. I could talk about soccer all day long. 
I'm just excited for this season to start. So excited to get to match week one, which we have those predictions coming out soon. So maybe you should check out the Twitter, check out um, Ryan's Twitter, um, and it'll be there. So, yeah, thank you all so, so much for listening. And even though he was not here, uh, go ahead and outro us, Mr. Alan Underwood. Thank you for watching another episode of the USL Show. This and every episode is brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network. Find podcasts and other written work at bgn.fm. Once again, thanks for stopping by, and we'll see you guys again next week.